0: This week, uh, I am instead going to be talking about some ideas from the inside of my head and uh, from heads of many smart people before me. Before I get started on the podcast, I'll do me normal uh, business stuff. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do that. Just follow my shit on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. It's very lonely over there on Twitter by myself right now. I think I have... Uh Eight followers, so that 's pretty impressive um, i don 't really know what the fuck i 'm doing over there. I think it's just ha- I have it to have it. I signed up to this thing uh, while I was in America for some practice on joke writing it 's an app that required that I had a Twitter um because it was like just took for granted that every human on earth would have a twitter <laughs> it's pretty American really of them wasn 't it in general. <laughs> Of course you've got Twitter because everyone in America has Twitter because everyone is trying to figure out what the fuck the president's doing and that's where you figure it out. And also OJ Simpson, by the way. He started Twitter the same day I had and uh, safe to say he's got a few more followers than me, Um, but I'm catching up to him. So anyways, uh, Twitter is at Lorna Bremner, Instagram at Lorna underscore Bremner and Facebook Lorna Bremner. Uh, Fuck, it is a bit difficult. My actual name on Facebook is something else than my page name. My page name is actually my normal name, Lorna Bremner. But um, everybody in the comedy world around here books gigs using Facebook and Facebook Messenger. And so everyone keeps putting me on the lineup as my other name, my Facebook name, and which was funny, too, because uh, I used to have my Facebook name used to be Juice Springsteen. So that would have been really (laughs) fun to be introduced uh, to get up on stage and be called Juice Springsteen. (laughs) I would have liked that. My other name now is much more boring. Um, I don't know. I just didn't like the idea that it it doesn't make any difference because I put all of my personal life details into fucking everything I do anyway. So I don't know why I cared, but I just didn't want... Uh, I don't know, random dickheads to be able to find me on Facebook. I don't fucking know. But random dickheads can follow all of my pages, and please do, random dickheads, because I need more followers to get more sponsors for shit or, I don't know, fucking to legitimize my podcast in the real world. Oh, that's so fucking dumb. But anyway, so, yeah, if you want to support the podcast or what I'm doing, do that. Uh, share an episode with one of your friends if you like it. Um, subscribe to it. I'm Uh, iTunes, Spotify, all of those places. Plus, uh, you can rate it on there too, so that it jumps up in the queue and uh, helps other people see it. Also, if you are financially able or willing or whatever, you can uh, help me out at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Lorna Bremner. And Uh, For five bucks a month, you can help me feed myself and uh, keep this podcast going. Cool. That is enough of that. So this week, I thought it would be fun um, to talk a little bit about our sense of self again, because this is a common theme. Obviously, it's constantly recurring in my own life because I have one, believe it or not. And I... Jesus, from starting to do comedy, I am constantly faced with the bullshit inside my head on a similar scale to what I felt when I was fighting. But also a major idea for this podcast came from a comment from one of the people that was listening to uh, an episode a few back. Basically, I made a passing comment in the airport podcast where somebody was saying, why is it so hard to follow your own advice? And I said that... Oftentimes, when we come up with a problem in our head and somebody starts to give you advice for it that would solve the problem, your ego immediately rejects the solution. And there's a very good reason for that, and that's because your ego is basically constructed out of a bunch of stories. And the main key element inside a story is a problem. So if somebody presents your ego with a solution to a problem, it threatens your ego's existence at that moment. And your ego is more or less like kind of your conscious experience of yourself and others in the world. So basically, like, you know, you're you're having, a, I don't know, like a manager who will lose his job if you take the job. What? That doesn't make sense. Let me start that again. So say you've got a manager that's looking after you and somebody offers you a job that would eliminate the need for a manager but he has to offer it to the manager first the manager is quite clearly going to be like no we're not taking that job because if we did take that job i wouldn't have a job anymore so your ego here's the solution to their own problem and it goes no fuck that that's going to make me less important so i'm not accepting that solution and then it'll come up with three reasons why that person's a fuckhead and uh you will persist with your problems so um, Jade had asked me about where that idea came from in my head, how your um, ego would reject problems, and I I've honestly didn't know the answer. I searched my brain cavity for where that came from, and I have no fucking idea, but it, I would imagine it would come from some of the reading that I've done over my time about the nature of our brains. Um, some of the more significant books that I've read about this stuff, uh, Carl Jung's um Memories, Dreams, and Reflections is an amazing book for this stuff. Uh, It's like kind of his autobiography. It's really interesting to see how his mind came up with a lot of his ideas about psychology. Also, uh, Waking Up by Sam Harris. And uh, Be Here Now is a book by Ram Dass about, um, I don't know, sort of eliminating the chaos of the ego and trying to be more present. So it's essentially a mindfulness type of concept that's uh, where all that comes from. So let's get started. Why don't we? And thank you, Jade, for your feedback and also asking the question that made me think about this a lot more and uh, expand it into a full podcast on my own. So everybody, if you enjoy this podcast, make sure you let me know so I can tell Jade that she changed your lives and mine. So, um, yeah. So what I was just getting at there... I'm trying to write. I have a brand new uh, joke that I'm trying to write. And and I mentioned this right now um, only because I need you guys all to know that I'm doing comedy because I'm so impressive. But um, it's not because of that. It's because I do get a little bit nervous that if uh, you do ever come and watch me do comedy and then you hear me say something that I've said on the podcast, you're like, uh, hello, you fucking said that before. You're right. You're absolutely right, because I spend so much time thinking about ideas for the podcast that I eventually uh, drill down into some form that's going to be funny on stage, and then I say it to them. There have been lines that I've drawn directly out of things I've said on this podcast and turned them into jokes, so sorry to disappoint you. It's like, if you imagine, like, my comedy is like the Freebase um, version of the podcast. (laughs) It's like the high fructose corn syrup of what this podcast is. <laughs> oh, I wish it was that good. So when I was thinking about this joke, I, I uh, realized that, like, fuck, this is... The, the fuck What really what I'm talking about is basically just my ego. It's just a collection of stories and behavior patterns that I've developed over the course of my life that... uh Uh, Every once in a while, rear their ugly head at a very inopportune time and get in the way of my life. So... Uh, the person in in transactional analysis, I talked about this in many, many podcasts ago, but in transactional analysis, they make quite a significant distinction between states of mind that are conscious and aware and states of mind that are reacting from patterns from your childhood or your past or whatever. So you're the fuckwit that I'm talking about. I'm not saying that like I, as a human being, am a fuckwit. It's like that I have these like collection of behavior patterns. That I've kind of personified into this character that lives in the back of my head, and every once in a while, she just like pops out and says stupid shit, like because she thinks she's impressive or whatever. Like, like he, here's an example, and this is the one that I'm, I've just been kind of thinking that I'd say on stage. Like, I the other day caught myself uh, giving an interview to an imaginary journalist in my head, and the imaginary journalist was upset about a joke that I haven't written yet. Like, I have not even, I, I'm like, I've been a, attempting to be a comedian for maybe two months, and I'm already practicing interviews in my head on imaginary television about jokes that are imaginary. Like, I haven't even fucking come up with a controversial joke, but I'm already practicing on how to defend it. <laughs> I, I am such a fucking idiot So I have moments like that Where I just like catch myself And then it's funny to me Because it's like Who the fuck is this person And the worst moments Are the ones where I The, the accidentally That fuck quick goes out And interacts with the world And then I have to deal With the shame of that later Like I have to walk away And just go What the fuck did you do that for You idiot So Um <laughs> So, there is a very clear distinction between that thing and also and your uh, adult state of being as far, uh, in the what transactional analysis calls it is your adult state, and that is the state of being that is dealing with the uh, direct immediate present um, in mindfulness they call this being uh, mindful in uh, modern popular culture it 's called being in the moment. But it's like, you know, you're just dealing with exactly what's going on in front of you. You're not worried about some story and bullshit inside your head trying to get yours or whatever. So this thing is made up of stories. Our ego is made up of stories and... uh essentially meaning that we've given to experiences that we've had in our life and what we think we've learned from that experience, and we've kind of locked it away into a chamber so that the next time we have a similar experience, we know how to react. It is not a bad thing that your ego is made up of stories. Uh, they are ways of navigating the world, like uh, it's a way to help us learn how to not burn yourself on the stove again or how to identify dangerous characters or whatever, and it's a way of helping us survive. Um And also having these stories uh, as a collective are also really important. Carl Jung, who's uh, like one of my favorite thinkers of the world, and um Nietzsche or Nietzsche, depending on how you pronounce it, said that uh, there's a great little video about this, and I'll put a link to it on my website, but they uh, both believed that myth was kind of like the most important tool that human beings have uh, to navigate the world in a psychologically healthy way as a species. And that by us kind of making this major transition and adopting science and losing sight of our religious beliefs or religious myths or myths in general, that we... Uh, that is what's kind of leading us down a path of major destruction, hopelessness, and a general sense of being lost as a species on the planet. And it's pretty clear to see that, obviously. Like, we are so completely disconnected from where we come from and our purpose on this planet that we don't even give a fuck that we're demolishing it, like, by the fucking billions billions? Billions of what? I don't know. Billions of acres of rainforest. (laughs) I mean, which is every one of our actions. is just a constant uh, destruction on this planet. Um, And so what their argument is, is that we, uh, once we lose sight of our myths, we don't understand our overall purpose. So what we end up focusing on is uh, pleasure, instant gratification, and immediate belonging. Um, Or like, you know, in colloquial terms, modern-day terms. It's like, I'm going to get mine. You know, I got to get mine. I got to climb the fucking ladder. I got to get more bitches and money and shit. Um good example of that is that uh, recently somebody had sex on me. <laughs> this is another story that I tell on stage, which is uh, distressing but also funny. Like, like he basically just, like, fucked my legs. Like, so when... while. He, I, I don't know. You have to come and see me to t- tell you this story, to tell it in full. I'm not going to do your heads in with the whole story. But basically, he was laying on top of my back. He pinned my legs together and just, like, fucked in between my thighs. Like, his dick was, like... And in, in, so there was not... He wasn't even, like, going to where sex happens. It was, like, th- the area before where sex happens. It was so fucked up. And so but when you're looking at that from the perspective of our modern society where we value most individual happiness pleasure and getting mine he did it right you know he did what exactly what he needed to do to get pleasure out of that situation and didn't fucking matter about mine i for whatever various reasons and confusion, just didn't do anything about it. I just kind of, like, let it happen. Mostly, you know, from my own stories in my head about what I believed I deserved and should have and what I should get out of a situation or whatever. And, and also that we probably derive different types of pleasure. I derive pleasure out of being liked or being loved or being um, valued. And he possibly derived pleasure out of, you know, spraying cum all over my back. So... That's <laughs> so harsh when you say it like that. But I mean so I in that moment my orgasm was less important than the fact that he was enjoying me. Do you know what I mean? So like I let this strange situation unravel. No unravel. Um unfold. I let the situation unfold because I wanted I'm a people pleaser. I wanted to please him. So yeah, fuck my thighs if you want to. And he wanted to come. So we didn't have a mutual purpose in this exchange at all. We had two separate purposes. And both of us, I guess, in some ways, achieved our purpose at that moment. Um, but if you look at it, if you look at sex with a totally different purpose, that the purpose of sex is to uh, create offspring, then he clearly missed the point because the all the cum that landed all over my back was uh, certainly not going to make anybody pregnant. And the second part of that is that there. what if sex is about um, becoming closer to somebody else or sharing, uh, I don't know, a bonding experience or feeling loved or whatever, then obviously, clearly, both of us completely failed at that because I was completely disconnected, laying on the bed, kind of just waiting for it to be over. And he, um, you know, was racing to the finish line on my thighs. Um, And now, not for such an extreme example. I mean, I don't know. uh, I don't know how many of you have ever been had sex on, but... (laughs) And don't be distressed for me. Like, I know it sounds gnarly. I was fine. I was totally fine. I'd already like experienced uh time with this person before then, and he was fine, he was lovely, he was not a bad person, he just like obviously totally we had very different opinions on what good sex was at that moment. But anyway, um but like on a more kind of easy, relatable example, if like, have you ever been uh, talking to someone and then, and like, someone asks you a question, for example, and then you start telling them the answer, and then you can clearly see that they are not listening to a fucking word you're saying, and so you just stop mid-sentence, and they don't even notice. I, I, has anyone ever done I, I do it, um, I have done this a couple times just like purely to see what's happening. It's almost always because somebody's looking at their phone like they got distracted and they looked at their phone and I'll just stop speaking mid-sentence and they would have no idea that that's happened and then they'll just um, come back with a different question or whatever. And it's interesting to me, I, it bothers me obviously, I think it's fucking annoying and I think it's rude, but um, what is the purpose of talking to somebody else? You know, like what was the point of me saying whatever I was saying to them? Because a lot of the times, uh, this podcast might even be a very good example of it, I like hearing my own fucking voice. I like saying thoughts out to the world. I love it when people write their answers back to me or their thoughts back to me and go, that made sense to me. How did this work? What was that like? I fucking love that because it means that all this crazy rambling is actually making sense to somebody else, which is fucking awesome. But... uh, Also, I 100% get pleasure out of coming up with these ideas and trying to figure out how to say them out loud. And I love that I can record it and put it on the internet. So what's the point of me doing this podcast or telling a story to somebody who clearly isn't interested? It's like, that's just as selfish as fucking someone's thighs. (laughs) You know, like if... If, if I have no consideration for how the other person is receiving the information that I'm putting out in the world, it's just, it's pure self-indulgent and fair enough that they look at their phone and don't want to hear the rest of what I'm saying. You know, like there's no reason necessarily to be offended by it. It's like, you're kind of like holding somebody hostage when you're forcing them to sit down and listen to you talk. And I've noticed this, this uh, idea of, oh God. I've noticed this bad in watching open mics. Like I, uh, when I was in America, I did a bunch of open mics in Denver. And I mean, sometimes there were 50 comedians that would go up to do two minutes at a time in a night. And the crowd is mostly comedians, plus like a few strangers dotted in there that have essentially like sat down to dinner and then accidentally realized they were stuck inside an open mic gig and couldn't leave. And they literally did look like they were being held hostage. And there are people standing on stage trying to work out ideas, which is the name of the game. I mean, that's the business that they're in. This is how we fucking try and figure out what we're trying to say but it is so excruciating to watch these people just saying ideas that have no relevance to anybody around them they're not fully formulated a lot of times i mean there's like these crazy personality disorders going on and like some of the people just have absolutely no comprehension whatsoever that the people in the audience are just not interested or getting it and i i'm terrified that i'm doing that every once in a while i don't know that i am or not i for the most part it seems like people generally kind of find me interesting or funny ish uh i'm not definitely not good at it yet but i'm getting better slowly but having these kind of observations like it's really fucking interesting to see what it looks like when a person is so concerned with trying to get their own point across that they just literally don't give a fuck if anyone else is receiving it back um So that's the thing. It's like, what's the point of doing it? And with an open mic, it kind of makes sense. The purpose of you doing an open mic is practicing saying what you want to say to people someday who will listen. So it kind of makes sense that you sort of hold the audience hostage during that moment. It's not good. It's not nice to see, but it does kind of make sense. Uh, But if the purpose of talking to somebody is communicating an idea or uh, letting them relate to you or helping them understand that you can relate to them it's a totally different story so purpose is really fucking important when we're experiencing ourselves in the world and if you are missing purpose and you're lacking that connection then we literally are just kind of drifting along trying to get safely to tomorrow and I don't think we're helping each other out. Like I personally think that our purpose is to like perpetually seek better connections to ourselves, each other, ideas, the environment we're in. You know what I mean? To It's, it's almost like we're born with like a whole bunch of congested or at least we develop a whole bunch of congested shit over our time. And our job is to like... Yeah, I, I guess it's almost like this like little arc. You get you're born with a blank slate, and then as you grow up, you collect a whole bunch of shit like papier mache around the outside of your body, like a giant cocoon. And then you reach this kind of like peak at maybe, I guess, 20, 25 or whatever. And you start realizing like, oh, fuck, I'm not the cocoon. I'm the thing inside the cocoon. And I've got to figure out how to get rid of all this shit that I've collected around myself. And then like the backside of your life or the main major part of your life from your 20s to your 60s, I suppose. It's like trying to figure out how to peel those layers away and get back connected to where you came from and each other. I don't know. That's a fucking huge, long-winded... I should be an Instagram influencer with that kind of talk. Anyway, um, so what Carl Jung and Nietzsche were talking about was it's not necessarily religions. It's just this connection to myth that was really important to us. And religions originally did serve this purpose for humanity that was the point of them um they it wasn't just uh ways of explaining how the world is it was more a ways of kind of tethering your psychological well-being to a sense of meaning and purpose so that you could uh use that as a guide to remain connected to yourself and others and the environment as you uh navigated through the chaos of your life but uh Nietzsche had major problems with Christianity, and I tend to agree with him on that one. Um, Carl Jung didn't as much except for—what was really interesting about him, he grew up uh, with—his dad was a minister or pastor for a very, you know, very deep religious sect. And he saw straight away that the religious people had completely misunderstood the value of God or the thing that they called God or whatever, that they had misappropriated the value of God into this character and an idol to worship and a bunch of rules and regulations rather than this essential state of being and this beautiful experience of a connected being that happens, uh, people call it the flow state or um, being in the zone or being in the moment, whatever. And and I think every human being has probably ever experienced it. I talk about this fucking constantly because it's one of my favorite things in the world. Um, so Carl Jung was really familiar with that experience and he realized that any practice in the religion itself, uh, and devotion to the religion itself actually took you further away from that feeling. So he didn't love the concept of Christianity, Uh, or the actions of Christianity, but he loved the concept of it, the feeling of it behind it, the essence behind it. And I, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know enough about this to obviously have an opinion. It doesn't matter. My opinion doesn't matter. But what's interesting about it is that when we don't have any sense of meaning or purpose or goal, this is when our ego comes in to protect us. This is the point and why the ego is constantly constructing these stories, because it almost seems inbuilt in our psyche that we need to have a story to follow. And particularly for people who don't have a religious belief or any kind of myth or meaning that they're leading their lives by, they are the most susceptible to uh, attaching to materialistic concepts uh, of the real world, even um, including scientific concepts. And I'm not saying that science is bad. Fucking please, for God's sakes, don't get me wrong here. I will get, I'll get back to that. I don't think science is wrong. But um, where people become, tend to become much more rigid in believing in material explanations for things and material gains because there is a major void where meaning is no longer there. And so I I definitely certainly don't think that uh, um, science, science. Um, I I, I don't think that science is wrong by any means, for God's sakes. I, I think science is an amazing thing. And I think this is why I like Carl Jung so much, is that he grew up in a religious environment where religion was the only main thing. And he noticed something was wrong with it, still could appreciate what was right with it, and then created his own ideas about the thing and constantly worked to become more closely connected to his ideas and the truth of the idea through scientific experiments, through following an academic path, but also contributing to that academic path uh, despite not being well-liked or being thought to be crazy or whatever. Because he believed so much in the truth of what he was trying to understand that it was worth the truth was worth everything more than him, the self or him, the scientist or him the psychologist, uh, psychiatrist, sorry I should say so and the original origins of science are exactly that it 's a search for truth it 's a search for understanding it 's a constant unfolding of things that we understand, and most people that are scientists today are out there doing exactly that. It's the people that stand to gain money or material gain out of a scientific finding that has to be X plus Y equals Z. Then as soon as they find out that X plus Y equals M, they freak out. And that's the problem because that's what science is. Science is always questioning whether X plus Y equals Z or not. So fucking Jesus, what a tangent. Um... So, the, to summarize that first section, what I'm talking about is that uh, we have seemed to become lo- uh, have lost connection to meaning. And because we've lost connection to meaning, or we don't really understand what meaning means, or we don't really care about meaning so much, we tend to develop more necessity, or there's more necessity for us to develop stories inside our psyches. And that means that we develop stronger egos. What is a story? Actually, there is a beautiful image for what this is, and I also will put this up on my website as well. And it comes from a guy called Dan Harmon. Uh, You may not know his name, but you surely will have heard of Rick and Morty. He's one of the co-creators of that cartoon, Rick and Morty, and he has a podcast called Harmon Town. Uh, he's a really cool guy, very interesting guy and very intelligent. And he's come up with this great thing, which is called a story circle arc or a story arc circle. And, uh, so I've got a link for it on the website, but it basically, what it does is it breaks down all the stages of a story, what makes a good story, a good story, and pretty much every single story, myth, idea that we've ever had in our lives follow this general pattern. This is what makes a story great, compelling, and interesting. And you'll notice that one of the key elements to this story is that somebody's got a problem that they have to solve. So um, basically he he divides this circle into two halves. The top half is order and the bottom half is chaos. So the story always starts and finishes in order. So if you, look, if you imagine the circle like a clock face, at the very top of the clock, the 12 o'clock mark, there is the very start of the story. And this is what he calls you, the protagonist. This is how you establish who is in the story. So at this part of the story, it's order, meaning that you have a very structured set, uh, rules and beliefs and ideas about who you are, the person who's in the story. Then you need something. Something's happened, something isn't quite right, a problem arises. So then the next step, so that was about 1 o'clock, at 3 o'clock you have go or take action. So you, the protagonist, you, the person in the story, has a problem, you need something, so you got to go and get it. This is your first stage of the story, and these all happen in order. Uh, in, yes, in order, but also in an ordered way, meaning that there is no chaos yet. Everything's pretty comfortable. You're uncomfortable. You're not happy with your problem, but you kind of are like, all right, well, fuck, I'm going to go and solve this. Then once you pass go and you start taking action, this is when you start to plummet into chaos. And chaos, another word for chaos is just the unknown. It's just that you are about to go into new territory and you don't really understand what's going to happen there. So while you're there, this is when shit starts to be troubling, that you start thinking you're trying to find solutions to the problem, but they're not there, or you're running into bigger problems. It turns out to be a much bigger problem than you thought it was. It's not Everything's not on the surface level. You're discovering more about yourself, your own weaknesses, your own strengths, and uh, you finally, at the bottom, at 6 o'clock, you find whatever it was that you're looking for. You go, fuck yeah, I finally found the solution to my problem. But key thing to notice here is that that solution to the problem is still in the chaos half of the circle. In fact, it is at the very pivotal apex point of chaos, six o'clock. So you think you found the solution to your problem, but you're about to get slapped in the face. In order for you to use the solution of this problem, you're going to have to sacrifice something. So this happens constantly in every single tiny little story that you have inside your head or in everything. You will have to, you will find the solution to your problem but there is always going to be a catch. When Whether that catch is provided to you by your ego or by some barrier that's in front of you, whatever the fuck it is, there's something there that's saying, yeah, sure, you think you want this thing, but if you really want it, you got to do this. And this, you basically are going to have to sell yourself to the devil. You're going to have to take a shortcut. You're going to have to do what it takes to get that thing. And then you realize, oh, fuck, that was a test. I fucked it. And then you have to make the realization that whatever you thought was going to fix your problem wasn't the thing that was going to fix your problem. In fact, what you needed to do was fix yourself or whatever, and then you learn a lesson. And that is now where we get to 9 o'clock. So this is on the far left side of the clock. And now... You finally come back from your big journey out to trying to figure all this shit out. You thought you had a solution. You got betrayed. You learned a lesson about yourself. You realize that you're the thing that needs to win or you're the thing that needs to depend on itself or whatever. And then finally, lastly, you learn a lesson. So then you start to come home. And now this time you've come home, you've changed. You've grown up as a person. You understood the lesson that you just learned. And you're like, fucking hell, I'm not going to do that again then of course you go end up back there at 12 o'clock again. So like if our life was a good movie, that would be the end of it. You go, you do your whole story circle, that's it. And then it's over. But our life is not a good movie. Our life is a billion fucking movies constantly playing at once. And like, the Fast and the Furious. Our ego does not know when to stop making fucking sequels to the same shitty story, <laughs> right? It's going to try and come up with like new inventive ways of stealing cars with big muscles or whatever. But it n- no one gives a fuck anymore, right? And this is what happens inside your ego. So you go and do this whole story arc, and and I mean, and I'm like that is this arc for your life? It's an arc for our, our species. It's an arc for. Uh, all of humanity and all of creation, but it's also an arc for, like, why you uh, keep trying to impress that guy at work. You know, it's... Or why you keep eating fucking gas station sandwiches, Kit Kats, and cookies on the way home from terrible open mic gigs when you try new jokes in Brisbane and no one laughs at you. You know what I mean? Like, why the fuck are you repeating these same patterns over and over and over again? This... Is the real crux of the issue so we constantly have these stories it's a beautiful uh, i hope i kind of explained that to you in a way that makes any sense whatsoever it wasn't totally boring but go to my website so you can actually see the image uh, of what dan Harmon made because it's a beautiful image for this concept but the key element to that story and all stories is that the story contains a problem there is no story without a problem and if your ego is constructed out of stories That means your ego is similarly constructed out of problems and ways that you should feel about that problem and ways that you think you need to fix the problem or ways that you think you can't fix the problem. So if you resolve the problem and the story goes away, then the ego doesn't have a job anymore and the ego is not having that, is it? Your sense of self is dependent on you having a series of stories that tell you how to navigate the world. So don't get upset with yourself when you stop at the gas station again and get another fucking chicken sandwich and cookies that you know you shouldn't be eating, but you just do it anyway because fucking why not? Don't get upset with yourself, Lorna. Just try to alter your course the next time you have that opportunity. Right. And the story that you're telling, even the story I'm telling myself right now about my own behavior is that I've got this in my head that I'm a bad person. I'm a shitty person. I shouldn't be doing that. And it's true in a way that doesn't make me feel happy to put shitty fuel inside my body. I know that. But, um, you know, there's a sacrifice that I have to make and I've got to sell my soul to the devil at some point to uh, learn the lesson. And I don't know what that's going to be. But I hope it happens soon. So anyway, um there are a bunch of different kinds of stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. Um, or, well, I mean, there's a bunch of different stories we tell ourselves about everything. And the first things that we talk about most of the time is about ourselves. Uh, those kind of stories sound like, I can't do this. I would do that, but I'm not that person. Or, oh, my anxiety stops me. Or, I'm like this. Oh, I wouldn't do that because I'm this. Like, Every fucking time you hear yourself go, oh, I'd never do that. I could never. Just stop it. That's a story inside your head that is helping you kind of navigate the world, but you don't need it. You made these stories up. Here's an example of a story that I only just recently discovered inside my head. And the only way that I think I came to the realization about this story in my head is that I am finally doing something for myself that feels uh, meaningful, exciting, scary, challenging. I don't know. if it, it feels like all of the shit. I, I'm living my life right now exactly the way that I think I want to, but had been for all of my life up to this point too scared to do. Uh, this thing feels meaningful to me. So the way that I'm living my life right now has allowed me to have a little bit of perspective outside of my own fears and worries about who I am as a person. And one of those major fears and worries about who I am as a person has come from this very core belief about myself that I believed up until I guess probably even last year that I needed to uh, marry somebody who was special or creative like that I could never settle for somebody who wasn't special or creative. So, uh, the story comes from a bunch of different elements that firstly, I value uh, creativity and meaning. I, I value people that are connected to what they're doing so much that they have success at being, um, creative in some way or another. And, and like it could be anything really. It could be like, a um, musician or an artist or comedian or just, you know, anybody that's like actively participating in this world uh, through through a creative channel that makes them happy. So that's something that I personally valued and I want it to be a part of my life. But the core belief that I have is that I personally don't have the skills myself to do that. And on the other side of that is that even if I did have the skills, I'm afraid of the responsibility of having to actually constantly do that like if I committed to being an artist it would mean that every day I'd have to make a painting I'd have to sell it to people I'd have to back my artwork I'd have to deal with criticism and I was too afraid of all of that um, and I was way too afraid of the criticism I, I had constant core belief that if I'm not the best then it's not worth doing I don't I can't be fucked doing it so uh, this is an entire narrative that's fueled my life that has basically stopped me from doing anything creative that I cared about, but being really attracted to and interested in creative people that are doing exactly what I want to be doing. And at uh, about some point last year, I had this major realization, like, holy fuck, everything I've ever wanted is being represented to me and all these other people. And the only thing I have to do is just do it myself. Like how fucking dumb. Like how did I take 32 years of life to figure out that that's what I wanted? I it's crazy. Like that's how big these stories can be. Like that's how strong these narratives can be. Like that you are, I am such a piece of shit that I could never do that thing and it was so deep below the surface that it it took me actually spending an entire year or two and definitely having trainers in Muay Thai that helped me learn how to trust myself a little bit. Over the course of the last four years, I've slowly developed enough of a fucking uh, self-belief that I just started doing the shit that I wanted to do. And now that I've got enough space, like that I'm actively doing the stuff that I want to be doing, that's the only way that I had enough space to see the story for what it was. That's pretty fucking crazy. Um, but it's not just our fault. Like we haven't just invented the story ourselves from our own experiences. We also collect them from other people and other people will tell us stories because they, uh, in some cases want to protect us from their own fears about what we're doing, or they're trying to protect themselves, or they've got their own wounds that they're trying to heal through, whatever the fuck is going on. So like, for example, with, uh, in my life, my mom, I have very strong, distinct memory of my mom just saying to me, the thing is, Lorna, you're just not athletic. (laughs) I used to play soccer, and I was pretty bad at it. And she would compare me to the other girls on the team, like, no, like Jessica, for example, is athletic. You see the way she moves? She's athletic. You just look like you are you don't really know what's going on. And she's right. Like, it was a true observation, but in her telling me that, I locked that in as a core belief of mine about myself. And uh, because I'm a spiteful little bitch, I did everything in my power to become more athletic because it was like I needed to prove that she was wrong. And I was really good at uh, a lot of the sports that I did after that. But I didn't believe it, and I still, to this day, have a really hard time believing that I'm capable of anything ever. And my trainer had to, like, shake me one day when I was having more self-doubt about my ability as a fighter. And he was like, Lorna, you've won nine out of ten fights. There's a reason why you're winning, and it's not because other people feel bad for you or like you, and they're trying to help you out. Like, this person's actively trying to punch you in the face, and you're doing it better than she is. That's that's simple. Like, the facts speak for themselves. And I couldn't fucking see it because I had this really core belief about myself not being athletic all the way up until I was 31 years old. It's crazy. Um... And and another one that my mom just recently said to me, just brand new, um, she goes, This is my last day in America, the very last day I was spending with my family. And my mom goes, Out of fucking nowhere over lunch, Lorna, I just don't know how you're ever gonna find anyone. (laughs) All right, mom. And then she goes, It's just that you're so judgmental. The fucked up thing is that she is right, but, like, isn't that amazing that she didn't see the irony? Like, where the fuck do I get it from then? Like, only minutes later, we went to the toilet as we were leaving the restaurant, and she's like, we go to wash our hands, and she's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This place is just gross, isn't it? It's just terrible. <laughs> and then I just looked at her and went, ah, oh, I'm judgmental. Am I you fucking nut yeah so a lot of our uh experiences of other people especially particularly authority figures in our lives and the parents that raise us and the people that tell us how to observe the world will teach us about ourselves and the world around us but anyway like um another thing that jung says and i find this also very helpful and interesting is that what you when you notice a feature about somebody else that you don't like it is a very good indicator of a feature in yourself that you are not happy with or that you want to change or that you're ashamed of, I should say. More than anything, it's something that you're ashamed of. So when somebody really rubs you up the wrong way, it's because uh, they're showing you something about yourself that you haven't resolved in yourself. And I know that my mom uh, doesn't like how critical she is or judgmental she is, but at the same time she kind of feels like that's just a core aspect of her personality and that's who she is and that's who she's always been and that's who she's gonna be. And you know, fair enough too. It's gotten her this far in life, so fine. Only she's only damaged one child majorly from that. It seems like my brother's doing okay. <laughs> I'm only joking. I love you, mom. Anyways, uh so this is another interesting thing too is that they are your parents and people around you and authority figures and your friends are not just telling you ideas about yourself that are going to kind of like lock in and concrete inside your head. They'll tell you ideas, um, about the world around you. Like my parents, um, gave me the impression that living a creative life is hard because my dad's an artist. My mom is unemployable for, uh, many of the reasons I already mentioned, but, um, (laughs) she she was a journalist for a long time and now she does web design on her own from home which is a good job for her and uh so they um now I feel see now I'm distracted because I feel bad because I feel like I've been like slagging off my mom and I'm not I fucking love my mother I think she has got a lot of value in the world so please don't get the impression that I think she's shit um What they told me was that, you know, living a creative life is hard. You always have to work really hard and people don't really care about you. Um, You have to have money to get ahead or you have to have connections to get ahead. And people are fuckwits and idiots and they'll never understand you. That was kind of like a big major theme in my life growing up. Um, And money is evil. That was another big thing that that they would like constantly be telling us about. So this has kind of put me in like a defensive state of mind, a nervous about doing anything. Oh, and this is the other fucked up thing about it is that because they cared so much about doing creative things in their life, it also was the most important value in our household to be creative, to be a free thinker, to be a critical thinker. These are really, really important values in my life uh, or in my family. And I think that's uh, one of our benefits, definitely. But the weird part about it is that it always came with a caveat. Like this creative life is the most important thing you can do, but it's impossible, and you're going to struggle. But creati- creativity is the best thing you can ever do, but also it's fucked, you know. So that was like my whole life. So, uh, <laughs> and and that money is evil. The uh, now because I believe that money is evil. Like I've I've got this like really defensive um, outlook. I'm ripe for becoming a conspiracy theorist because of this. Like I went to get petrol the other day at the uh, service station. I, I should just say gas station. I wanted to say gas station, but then I thought the Australians would think I was being too American. And so I said service station like a fuck what. but I don't even say that word. I've never said it ever in my life. Um, gas station. So I was filling up gas and at this new gas station, they've put in new screens at the pump that, like, just show you clips of stuff, I don't know, entertaining roadside information, and I immediately, as soon as I put the gas in, started pumping the gas, I was like, oh, my God, these assholes, they want me to get distracted watching TV while I'm pumping gas into my car and accidentally spend too much money here. Like, that's when my brain... Instead of going, oh... Look at this gesture of them trying to entertain us while we're pumping gas and also give us some very important information that doing burnouts while you're speeding down the motorway in a boy racer gang will explode your car. I didn't know that that could happen and now I do. So, you know what I mean? Like so so it's developed me this like kind of uh, developed in me a c- paranoid <laughs> A defensive way of experiencing the world. And that's no good. Uh, In transactional analysis, uh, they talk about different states of being. And uh, the optimal state of being in the world is I'm okay and you're okay. And that's a kind of neutral position in the world. Like whatever's going on over there, you're all right. And I'm okay and stable and comfortable in myself. Then you can have the state of being where I'm not okay, but you're okay. And that's when you're sort of pedestaling, you're putting everyone above you and you're a worm. Uh, the other opposite one of, is like your narcissistic personality disorders where they are I'm okay and you're not okay. Everyone, else, I'm doing all right, I'm fine, and everyone else is a fucking dickhead. And then the very last one is I'm not okay and you're not okay. And this is the very severe depressive state, the kind of um, suicidal or sociopathic state where the world's fucked, everything's fucked, and everything should burn. Um so then lastly, we've got a couple other sets of stories that we can tell. We have originally stories about ourselves, then second, stories about the world around us, and then third, uh, underneath that banner is also stories about other people. And uh, creative people in particular are really good at this, where they will experience something happening in a situation, and then apply meaning to that situation and then go away and think about the situation over and over and over again until they've invented an entire scenario of meaning behind whatever the fuck just happened. Like, yeah, and everybody knows this one, like that you send a text to somebody and they don't answer you back. And then you just spend fucking five days wondering what you did wrong, if they think you're ugly or if you're gross or if you're trying too hard, whatever the fuck. And you're reading meaning into nothing. And you end up showing up at their house and they, you know, have to get a restraining order. Look at me. Look at how cute I am trying to just constantly make jokes all the time. I promised you guys that I was not going to turn this into a comedy podcast and just try and fucking sling jokes at you all the time. And then I've spent the last hour doing nothing but that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and so going back to Carl Jung, his idea on this is... That uh, when you notice features about other people, whether you think that they are doing X, Y, and Z or not, or uh, if you think somebody's amazing and you're not amazing, usually what happens if you think that somebody's amazing, if you've noticed positive traits in somebody else, those are usually traits in yourself that you have not, that you value, but you uh, haven't fulfilled yet. If that makes sense, so you um, really appreciate, I guess, a stranger's kindness. Then you are thinking, "Oh fuck, they're so kind." I'm never, I'm not that kind. I've never been that kind. They are so kind, and what you should realize at that moment is, "Oh, this is a huge value of mine because I've noticed it in somebody else, and I also am that kind." I just can't see it because I'm trying too hard to be more kind than him because I'm kinder than everyone or whatever. So, you like put yourself in this competitive state of being. So, you notice something, uh, of a nice positive value in somebody else. Usually, what it is is uh, you're not allowing yourself to see that value in yourself. And then the negatives, again, same thing, uh, what I was just talking about before with Young is when you notice something negative about somebody else, it is things that you are ashamed of inside yourself. So, what's cool about this is acknowledging that you have this kind of fuckwit inside your head that is going to be telling you stories constantly and feeding you meaning and interpretation and feelings about shit that's going on. Is that oh, wait a second. This is a story that's developed. The key element of a story is that I need to have a problem here. What's the problem? What is that fueling? What aspect of of my personality is that feeding and how can I accept a solution to that problem to sort of uh, let this thing slide by the wayside and come back to the present moment, come back to my present experience of myself, rather than getting caught up in this story and this problem? The problem will feed itself. It will never resolve itself so long as you attach to it. The only way to resolve it is to stop giving it its power, and that is to stop acknowledging that it's a problem. And I, I don't know. I fucking It sounds like it's way easier than... Uh, said than done, 100%. My goodness. That, I think, is enough. I don't know. I'm obviously clearly not a psychologist. Uh, I fucking love this podcast so much. And I feel uh, definitely bad that I haven't been spending as much time on it as I could be, because I'm so preoccupied with trying to constantly uh, do gigs and write more jokes, and be better at comedy. So I'm a little bit distracted at the moment, um, so please forgive me. I'm, I know I'm going to listen to this podcast a lot um, and fucking cringe for days about the stupid shit I'm saying. But, you know, I don't know. that The whole point of this podcast is showing our raw, stupid insides. And, yeah, if anything it was an hour of my own weird, raw, stupid insides, this was it. <laughs> I don't have the time to edit this podcast, and I'm not going to because, uh, I don't know, this is who I am sometimes. That's just who I am. See, I did it too. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. I uh, cannot fucking thank you enough for the new patrons and for um, everybody, new people listening to this podcast. We've got a ton more listeners, and I'm so fucking happy about it. Uh, Thank you for everything. If you would like to find out more about what I do, obviously, please follow my uh, social media pages, I uh, also have got a website, LornaBremner.com, and you can support my podcast at patreon.com slash LornaBremner. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you again soon.